Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are talking about the Netflix film, a new adaptation of an old classic, All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, it's been made twice as a film, once in 1980 as a television film and once in 1930 as an Oscar award-winning film starring Lou Ayers. And I think directed by Carl Lemley or produced by Carl Lemley, the Have guy that did all the- those uh, old ones? I saw the one from 1930 many years ago, but I haven't seen it in a while. I had try. I was going to try and rewatch it for this, but then I stopped short because I thought, why compare the two? Why not just look at this as an adaptation of the book? Which is what this is supposed to be. This is not positioned as a remake of an older movie, but as a re-adaptation of the book. Kinda so this like, is yeah. exactly how you're supposed to look at it. Good. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad I didn't go back and rewatch that, and I'm glad I didn't look for that, that 80, 1980 TV adaptation. But it reminds me of John Carpenter, which is an odd thing to be reminded of when you're talking about a classic novel and a classic war film, but it reminds me of John Carpenter's adaptation of The Thing. It's not necessarily a remake of the Howard Hawks movie. It's a reimagining of the source material, a re-adaptation, if you will. So, Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so... Had you seen this previous to us watching this for... This version? Yeah. No, no okay. I had not seen this version pr- prior to. Um, I had read the book. Had you read the book? No, I have not. Okay. It's been a long time. It's been 30 years since I read the book. But it is a powerful book. It's a book that's probably not something that I'd want to go back and reread much. But yeah, I, I read it just after high school. I was I had this phase in high school where I didn't read all the books that they told you to read during high school. I went back and read them at my own leisure because I didn't care to have somebody tell me what to read. Nobody's <laughs> going to tell me what to do. I mean, you know me. I'm a I contrarian. That's what I do. I do. I like. I don't. I, I'm not here to be told what to do. So. Yeah. The crosswalk here? Forget that. I'm going to go down here. Well, I mean, well, like, no, I'll cross at the crosswalk if it's right. I'm not going to go out of my way. But I mean, like, if I'm standing in the middle of a block and I want to cross the street, I'm not going to walk to the crosswalk and walk over. That's nonsensical. It's a, a lot of people street. do that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it's people a public street. What do you, why are you trying to make it out like it's a bad thing? I mean, it is technically jaywalking, but that's only if you actually, like, subscribe to that one. You know, and all that stuff. So, you know, whatever. I think if you're doing it in an area that's not crazy traffic, you're probably fine. But, <laughs> you know. Anyways, we are talking about something completely different. I can't wait to take you to New York then. I <laughs> cannot wait to go to New York. I'm really looking for- forward to it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of terrified to go. I, I'm from... It's overwhelming. A very small town in southern Minnesota. I've lived here my whole life. I now, do go to the cities, but that's, I'm guessing, nowhere near what it is in New York either. And yeah. so I, I know that it will be like almost just a shock to the system, I the, think, when I get tw- there. Yeah, the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul are kind of, they're like, they would be like a suburb of sure. a suburb. The exurbs, if you will, to downtown Manhattan yeah. or the island itself. But I Any really want to go. I really want to experience it because I feel it like it is something, especially if you live in the United States, you mm-hmm. should go. It is It is a singular experience, that's for sure. Now, I yeah. grew up, my parents are from New York, so I grew up wandering around on the streets of New York when we went to visit people. we would. My brother and I would go to this corner store. It was called Cozy Corner. 
we'd do it by ourselves when we got old enough. It was, it's an experience. Now, my parents are from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which is not, especially in the 1980s, not the best area of town. But I won't bring you down there. Well, I guess I could bring you down there now. It's gentrified, I guess. It's not going to be as dark and seedy underbelly. Anyway, what I was going to ask is if you could just explain to the listeners how small you mean when you say you're from a small town. Like, can you just give us the number? I love when you say the number. Say the number. I don't know what it's at now, but for some reason, I think it's just over 400, It's just it? under. It's 395. Okay. It used to be a little over 400. I want to say when I graduated from school, now we had combined schools with a different town, but I think our town was around 450 or something like and that. now it's 395. Yep. So it, <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say small town. Right. <laughs> so anytime that you think of like, you know, a town with like, oh, it's got a local store and it's a small town, a couple thousand people. No, she's talking about small towns. She means tiny town. Yeah. Like itty bitty little we tiny town. We did have a little store and a barber shop and a oh, hardware store and no a more. cafe and a couple gas stations, lumber yard, a bank. Most of that's gone now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just really kind of a drive through town. A lot yeah. of people like. Not a lot, but there's 300 and some people that still live there. Sure, uh, sure. We do not, though. <laughs> no, we do not. Thankfully, we do not. So, but the reason that I asked, the reason that I kind of wanted to get on to like that and like where you're from, and let's talk about that a little bit, is that I think that there is a a sense of jingoism to this this film that echoes, I think, in the rural areas of this country. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on there. Okay. Well, I mean, it just it seems like it reflects the best type of historical film is going to kind of tie to the present day a little bit, and I'm sure this is this is just so for a lot of countries. It mm-hmm. Just so happens that we live in America, United. Well, not America. Excuse me. We live in the United, United States because yeah. there's several Americas, but. Uh, Living in the United States, we only have that to go on when we talk about how it reflects to us, mm-hmm. this well, being a German film. And, and I'm just going to bring up a part of the movie that I, I know exactly kind of what you're talking about. It's when they're all kind of standing around in that stairwell or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's giving his war speech, and he's like pumping everybody up, and yeah, yeah. we're going to go, and we're going to kill some people, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I mean... Not that I've heard people, yeah, we're going to go kill people, but I've heard people be very energetic about getting in and, you know, going in and doing their duty and, you getting know, that kind of stuff. Getting over there and we got to go, got to go kill some bad guys, right? Right, right. I have, I have heard people talk like that, mm-hmm. so. It is, I mean, it's, it's, it is the way of the war, you know, any war, any mm-hmm. military, really. You've got to rev them up if you want them to go. Well, Okay. Prologue passed. Let's talk about who's in this movie. All right. This movie was directed by Edward Berger. It was written by Edward Berger, Leslie Patterson, and Ian Stokel. It's based on a book by Eric Maria Remark. Mm-hmm. That book, when did that book come out? It's, it's been a while. 1929. And then the first movie adaptation of it came out literally the year after. All right, so Eric wrote this book inspired on his own experience as a German soldier in World War One. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a, a, a sequel to this. It was called The Road Back. Both this book and the sequel book were banned in Hitler's Germany because they're I'm anti-war. Not surprised. Yep. Yeah. 
All right, this stars Felix Kammerer as Paul, and I believe this is his acting debut, if I remember reading that correctly. Oh, really? Okay. Aaron Hilmer as Albert, Moritz Klaus as Franz, Adrian Grunwald as Ludwig, and Albrecht Skuch as Stan. Is it Stan? Stanislas? Stanislas. I think they call him Stan, though. Yeah. What about Baron Zemo? Don't you want to talk about Baron Zemo? Who's Baron Zemo? Daniel Brohl. He's the guy that plays the guy on the train that's trying to get them to sign a treaty. The Baron... Uh, Mathia, Erz, Baron Erzberger Erz, or Erzberger, yeah, yeah. Erzberger, yeah. That's him. So he, that's, that, he's, play, he's played by Baron Zemo, which would be the only in for American audiences that are not up on European films. Yeah, he was that the only face I recognized yep. in this movie. Yeah, and in fact, you had to point him out to me. I wasn't paying any attention to him. I, he's, he, because he, to me, when they when they get to those points, I'm just kind of disgusted by the opulence that they're surrounded by while these guys are out there basically eating shit out of a you know rat infested, you know. Yeah, they're bunker. they're in like this nice, mm-hmm. warm, dry place. Oh yes. Yeah, I oh, yes. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. I had checked out at that point. So. All right, let's talk about this movie. Okay. So, the film opens on the battlefield, World War I. It was 1917, and a man named Heinrich is, is deployed to the Western Front. He is, he is killed in battle, though. And then we cut to 17-year-old Paul Balmer, who is going to enlist against his parents' wishes, of course, in the Imperial German Army alongside his school friends. The school friends are Albert Kropp, Franz Mueller, and Ludwig Bem. They, they're very excited about going. Yes. Oh very boy, yeah, excited. they're ready to go and kill the bag. Now think about this. This is what I was this is what was going yep. through my head the whole time we're watching this movie is that to them the allies are the bad guys. Even though Germany was the antagonist in World War 1, Germany and the Ottoman Empire are the antagonists in World War 1. The French, the British, the Americans to them are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. They're preventing them from achieving their goal. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because they're all riled up to go and kill the quote unquote bad guy, but to us, we're the bad guy, or to us, we're the, to us, they're the bad. I guy. was no, like, wait a minute, what? Hold on, hold on, we're not. Yeah, flip that around. I just I, I mixed that up. I my apologies. I got I got my brain was too far ahead of me, too far ahead of me, too far ahead of my mouth. So yeah, this is and this is where we get the the speech that you were talking about that mm-hmm. whole that nationalist nationalistic speech from the I think it was the principal or the headmaster of the school and he's talking about how they're going to go out there and they're going to you know they're going to win the war and they're these gentlemen these kids here are going to help you know help defeat the 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 allied powers and we're going to take France and we're going to take Russia and blah 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 right now we get a nice scene here and I don't mean nice in like oh it's nice and heartwarming but (laughs) it's very drives the point home I think of what war kind of is it's just a a machine really Mm -hmm. you've got people that are stripping dead bodies of their uniforms yes sending them back to get cleaned and washed and sewn or whatever Mm -hmm. and then being redistributed to the new people coming in Grist for the mill. And to your point, they drive that point home because Paul gets Heinrich's uniform. That's what that prologue was all about. Paul gets Heinrich's uniform. And when you find out what eventually happens to Paul, it's going to happen. That uniform is going to continue on. Mm -hmm. That uniform and eventually, of course, the scarf 
we'll talk about more of that later, but that all carries on. That basically to me talks about like this trauma of war. It's going to keep going. It's going to keep going on and on and we're going to mm-hmm. keep doing it to ourselves. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of pessimistic, but it is, you know, it is what it is. So the, after training, they are deployed in northern France and they're befriended by Kat, Kat Kaczynski, who is Stanislaus Kaczynski that you were talking about. He's an older soldier and they very quickly turn from this romanticized view of the war to the harsh reality of trench warfare in World War II on the Western Front. Yeah, they're World not one on the Western Front. just introduced to this casually. It's like, You're thrown shove right them in. out the door yep. and off you go. Yep, shove <laughs> them out the door, shove them out of the trench. Yeah. Ludwig is killed by artillery on the first night, which, I mean, right there, you're, you, you know this is... This is something very different than what you imagined in your head right. while you were sitting at home, you know. Thinking you're all tough and you're just going to kill everybody. Thinking you're going to be yeah. the guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So about a year passes. November 1918, we have Matthias Berger, who is the who is Baron Zemo. <laughs> he is tired of the mounting losses that the German army has been been dealt. And so he meets with German high command and persuades them to start an armistice talk with the Allied powers. So this is the first time we get to see just how opulent it is. The rear always has the the better, you know, they get the better coffee, they get the better everything, but this is beyond that. This is beyond that to a degree, you know, or to a, to a massive degree. These people are eating very well. They're dressed very well. Their uniforms are all pressed and nice and beautiful and everything versus Paul's and cats and everybody's. They're all dirty and holes and recycled, like you Uh said, Uh from other dead soldiers. While that's all going on, Paul and Cat steal a goose from a farm to share with Albert Franz and another veteran that they meet. Chaden? Chaden? Is it Jaden? How do they say? How do they say his name? I don't remember how they. I say don't his remember name. either. It's spelled T J A D N. I don't know how to pronounce it, and I don't remember how they did. We'll just call him by his last name, Stackfleet. They got close with him during or behind the front when they were in Champagne, and we get to kind of see this downtime a little bit. They eat, and then they eventually they go to the they go like one of them's in the bathroom, which is basically just a wooden plank in the woods that they hang their ass off and take their dump. So disgusting. Can you bizarre. imagine how horrible that must smell? Yeah, I oh. mean, exactly why it is so funny. Because when Cat <laughs> goes to take his dump, he walks for a while. Like, they're like, it's like Lord of the Rings walking we're watching. <laughs> and eventually he gets to the, you know, the thing and he sits there and he's sitting next to, was it Paul that he sits next to? Yeah. And he asks Paul to, he's got a letter. He asks Paul, now there's no partition, guys. He's It's just two guys They're sitting on a bench sitting dumping. Sitting on a bench next taking to each a other. Dump. Yeah. Could be at the park. They could be at the park <laughs> taking a dump right there. And uh, and he gives Paul the letter and he says, can you read it? He's illiterate. He can't read. So he asks Paul to read it to him. And uh, it's a letter from his wife. And they talk about his son who apparently had died. And... Paul takes note of that, but he doesn't ask anything about it at this point. He will later. He doesn't ask about it right then. But then the talk turns to Cat and his concern that he's never going to be able to reintegrate to normal life after having to fight in the trenches the way he does. I mean, he's got to get up right up close to people and basically stab them, smash them, all that stuff. Imagine going from something like that to being a baker 
that's why veterans tend to have issues and trauma and mm-hmm. yeah you know. it's another reason why if you're going to be sending young kids off to war you damn well better be ready to ready to take care of them when they come back and if you don't you're failed as a country looking at you united states <laughs> so franz ends up spending the night with a french woman he, he, he they there's these french girls that are out by as a car was it a car that they're out by and he runs off and he's like, I'm leaving, I'm taking off. And he like jumps in the car with him and takes off. But he comes back and he's got a scarf, but it smells like the girl. So he's passing it around so they can all smell it. And ooh, ooh, it smells so good. They even pass it around in their bunks later, you know. It's just one of those things that, if they're teenage boys, you know, I mean. They are, but, you know, how, it just makes me think how horrible their life has been. To be so excited to smell a handkerchief like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's kind of a cute little scene, but at the same time, it's really sad. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It drives yeah. home the idea that, you know, this is this is something worth getting excited over, just this light, just tiny little thing. It's also something that maybe reminds them of their humanity. Yeah. Maybe one of the last things that remind them of their humanity before they really get deep into this, because mm-hmm. the shit that goes on by the end of this movie, it's completely dehumanizing you know mm-hmm. i mean you see that on paul's face at the end i mean woof. anyway so the morning of november 9th general friedrich drives erzberger and the german delegation to a train that is bound for the forest of campaign to negotiate a ceasefire so we, this is where we're going to get to see they're going they're going to be on this train with the french delegation or the delegation for the allies and they're in different quarters so we've got the head of the french army and the head of the german army sitting on this just completely opulent train there's food everywhere there's just all kinds of it's all gilded they're in comfortable beds and comfortable chairs and they're not shitting on planks in the woods this i mean we cut to this so often because they want to draw that line and say look there's the people that fight the wars and then there's the people that serve in the wars but don't actually do the fighting Mm -hmm. they are the they call them the rear the rear echelon they are the ones that are that don't get their hands dirty so, while they're doing that, Paul and his friends, they end up on a mission to find 60 missing recruits that were sent to reinforce their unit. But when they find them, they're all dead. So, the Allies had gassed whatever area that they were, the bunker that they were in, and the men had taken their masks off too soon. And they all died from the gas. They had their, their gas masks in their hands. I'm surprised those gas masks worked at all. They looked pretty <laughs> well, old-fashioned. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were very bizarre looking. Very alien looking, too. Yeah. Like, they just like, I don't know, when you breathe in, they like they like flexed in and flexed yeah. out and stuff. That's why it's like, I'm surprised they work. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Eh, they must have. Somewhat. They didn't work for these guys because they didn't no. have them on. But yeah. So... General Friedrichs orders an attack before the French reinforcements arrive. And uh, later that night, the delegation reaches the forest and Paul's regiment is sent to the front to prepare for the attack. On the morning of the 10th, the Supreme Allied Commander Ferdinand 
fuck? What's this guy's name? Is it Fock? Folk? I think it's I think it's either Fock? Is he a Focker? Or it's got it's gotta be Fock. Ferdinand Fock <laughs> is the supreme <laughs> Allied commander. He gives the Germans three days to accept the Allies' terms with no room for negotiation. He won't negotiate. He says if you want if you truly want a ceasefire, you will accept these terms and you'll do it in three days. Which, you know, seems kind of like a hard-ass thing to do. But think about it. The Germans are the aggressors. They're the ones that started this war, and now they're begging for peace. There's no... You will accept whatever they lay mm-hmm. out, you know? Yeah. So the German attack is taking place at this time. It's on the French front line. This is where I'm talking... Where I was telling you about, like, they are doing this hand-to-hand right up in front of other people's... Right in front... Right in each other's faces... Stabbing, attacking, hitting with the butts of the rifles, and shooting as well. But this is where we see this really visceral hand-to-hand fighting combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't this too where we get somebody that's burned alive? Yes. Like one of the friends this is. is. Where the, yeah. Yep, yeah. One of the friends gets burned alive. I believe it is Albert. He's trying to surrender. So what happens is we get this tank regiment that comes through. Mm-hmm. And they roll literally over the the trenches to push the German forces back. We get a scene where one of the people one of the one of the soldiers gets crushed by a tank tread mm-hmm. and we watch it happen. It is it is horrendous. Just a horrible thing to look at watching a human being get crushed. And I know that this is all make believe. It's a fake movie and all that, but do you think that happened a lot? Those tanks don't move that fast. Don't you think that... I think we... that I think that the way that that happened was that the trench wall had collapsed. Oh, okay. And, I mean, if, you, if you're standing there and the trench wall collapses, you don't really have much time to move, even, yeah. if, the tra- even if the tank is moving slowly. You're right. They right. don't move fast. I'm guessing it's not like a an Austin Powers where the guy's like, stop. Yeah, <laughs> right. And With it just the keeps rolling yeah. towards him. Yeah. But... I I imagine it more like in a situation like that where like say a trench wall, you know, just completely deteriorates. Right, or something like okay, yeah, yep. you're gonna have that, and that's what happened in this scenario is there's, there's that trench wall that just fell right in front of them and and it crushed them. But but then yeah, we get to see they're all retreating, and we get to see we get to see we are treated to the wonderful sight of the flamethrower troops coming through and just burning people alive, and then of course Albert tries to. Tries to surrender, but he is burned alive. And Paul gets to see this. He witnesses this. While Paul is running away, he gets trapped in a crater in the middle of no man's land, which is between the two trenches, the opposed, the French trench and the German trench. We saw this in Wonder Woman. No man's land is the space between the two trenches where you don't go. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I think this is where Wonder Woman did her thing in this area here. So, this is okay. where she had her big hero moment. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Paul is trapped there and he's trapped with another German soldier. There's a, I think, does he end up, or not from Germany, he's tra- uh, with a, there's a French soldier there, right? Mm-hmm. And he ends up stabbing the guy and he's, he's watching the guy die and then he decides he's going to try and save him. He starts to feel bad about having done it. And he tries to save him with like he's like spreading mud on the guy's mouth or something like well, that. Well, or... so no, no. Later on, he tries to. Yeah, yeah. That's right. so this was 
whole, this was probably the worst scene through the whole thing. And not because it was bad. It was an excellent scene. Right. The acting was great. Very difficult to watch. It just was so hard to watch. Yeah. You know, to save his life, he stabbed this man. The man didn't die. Yeah. And we don't know how long they sat there, but the guy was like basically suffocating to in death. In his own blood. In yeah. his own blood. Yeah. But to shut him up shortly after he stabbed him, Paul shoved dirt down his mouth. Yeah. And that didn't work. And so then when he felt bad, he went to try and take it out and then try and save his life. But it, it was yeah. too late. Yeah. But I, I'm i sure stuff like this probably did happen, you know, yeah. that you well, I'm sure. the remorse from taking other human lives. But, I mean, if uh, what do you do? I mean, you either die yourself or you try and survive. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those situations just hope you're never in. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Now, I think this is probably the last time we see human Paul, really. I mean, by the time he gets to... Because the next thing that happens is we find out about the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. After that, he's completely different. So, speaking of the ceasefire, Erzberger gets word from Kaiser Wilhelm the second that he will abdicate to the demands of the Allies. And Paul, at this point then, is returning to his unit. And he finds out that there's word out there now. Oh, they've got a ceasefire that they're that they're getting ready to sign. So the war's pretty much over. We get to go home. Mm-hmm. There is... He finds his friend, Stackfleet. He, he finds him, and he gives, he gives him... Stackfleet gives Paul the scarf that Franz had. Mm-hmm. Now, in that last battle, Franz got separated from everybody, so he wasn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. But somehow he had gotten the scarf from Franz, and he gave it to Paul. Paul and Kat go to get food, and then they're, they're like, we're going to bring him some food. We're going to bring food back to, to Stackfleet. So they do. They bring him some food. They try to get him to eat. He just instead, he takes the fork, and he kills himself because he had... He had a really bad wound on his leg. He was going to mm-hmm. get it. His leg was going to end up getting amputated. Mm-hmm. He's like, he kept, I think he kept saying he didn't want to, he didn't, they're not going to take my leg. I won't let them take my leg. Mm-hmm. And I think this to him is the better alternative mm-hmm. to be a less of a, I mean, you're at this point, you're what? You're only part of the human that you were when you were sent over, not just physically, but mentally as well. And on top of that, you just heard how many people get limbs amputated you right. hear it oh yeah oh yeah when they get this shot through a lot the of these sur- people the aren't surviving room. it anyways yeah. so at that point he's probably just thinking i i don't even want to go through this right yeah. yeah but this scene where he stabs himself in the neck with the fork was pretty brutal as well mm-hmm. and then when paul and cat realize what he's doing they try to save him but they can't right it's too late right he's dead so the next morning about 5 a.m Erzberger's delegation signs the armistice and it is set to take place, say to take effect at 11 a.m. that day, November 11th at 11 a.m. That's why we, that's why we celebrate Armistice Day, which is now Veterans Day in America. It's Armistice Day everywhere else in the world, mostly. I think there's a couple other spots where it's changed as well, but for the most of the, most of the world it's Armistice Day. It's the day that we remember the end of World War I. So after they find out that the ceasefire is for sure, Paul and Kat go to a, go back to that farm and they try to steal, I think they were, back, they were going back for eggs, right? Yeah. 
So they go back for eggs and Paul gets chased out of the farm by the farmer and his kid and Kat runs off too, but they get separated and Kat ends up, oh no, they don't get separated. They run off and then Kat's like, I got to take a piss after they're a ways away. Mm-hmm. He ends up going into the woods and there's the farmer's son with a gun and we hear this gunshot and then Kat comes back and he's, and Paul's like, what happened? And he's like, it was the farmer's brat and I just told him to go home. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. Paul got shot. Or not Paul, excuse me. A cat got shot. And we find out about this later as they're walking back. He can't walk anymore. He mm-hmm. can't do it anymore. So Paul has to carry him. So he carries him all the way back to headquarters and tries to get a surgeon to help, like, take the bullet out and, mm-hmm. you know, sew him up. But the surgeon says you'd have been better off leaving him out there because he's dead. He's probably been dead for 20 minutes. Yeah. Which means he's been carrying his dead friend this whole way. Yet another thing to pile on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the last of his friends from his group. And arguably the very last of his humanity. That's it. That's the end. That's all he has left that connects him to the old world. Connects him to who he used to be because... Right, his friends were his school friends. Cat is somebody that he connected with over a letter from Cat's wife. You know, so so mm-hmm. and the, you know, and they they had talked about that. Eventually, they end up talking about the son who had died. But this is the last connection he has to that humanity. While this is going on, we learn out we learn that uh, Friedrichs, the general, the guy in charge of the German army at the time, he is wants a dick bag. He's a complete dick bag, and he wants to end the war with a German victory. So he orders an attack on the French trenches at ten forty five, fifteen minutes before, to deliver as many casualties as he can. Before to the both war is sides. Over. To both sides. He doesn't care. Yep. He gives zero shits about people's lives at yep. this point. So at this point, we see Paul. And the rest of the regiment. This made up. me angry. Oh, yeah. This made me so angry. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's meant to. Paul, expressionless, just completely expressionless as he's doing this, just going through the motions. He's just a robot at this point. Murdering. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's, a, he's a murdering robot. That's what yeah. he is. He's a robot that's designed only for killing. Mm-hmm. And that's it. He's been programmed to do this, and that's it. And everything's going great for him till he ends up in a bunker inside one of the trenches and he ends up getting stabbed through the heart with a bayonet from behind. And he stumbles out into the trench and it literally seconds before the 11 a.m. ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And while he is sitting there dying, they call the ceasefire. Stop fighting, stop fighting. And the next time we see Paul, we have a new German recruit who's out there who's collecting dog tags and he grabs the scarf, Franz's scarf, from Paul's body and puts it around his neck and goes on. Well, and this was a recruit that Paul had actually saved right. just a little bit before that. Right, during that last attack. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. That's it. It was, it's, I don't know how, I don't, how long was this movie? Two hours, 20 minutes. Okay. So, so her, fa- fairly average for movies, but it's a hard two hours and 20 minutes of a movie. It's, it's, it's a lot of heavy stuff that we're dealing with. Right. Right. 
Absolutely. I mean, the again, we're looking at... Imagine a movie like this where we're meant to sympathize with the Nazis. Now, I'm not saying that the pre-Nazi Germany was Nazis, but mm-hmm. or were Nazis, but that's how we're supposed to to look at that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because you're looking at these German soldiers and what their life was like individually, mm-hmm. not necessarily what the politicians and the war generals and them were doing and deciding these guys were just being pointed in a direction and saying go mm-hmm. you know the the i'm not saying that's okay but no, i'm no, just no. saying that the, you know you're just kind of getting a glimpse of the you know individual um journey through this too i think yeah absolutely i think the i think the the message that comes through the strongest for me is that it doesn't matter whose side you're on in the war you're still a victim of it whether you're a good guy or you're a bad guy or you're on whatever side. You know, there's no good guys or bad guys anymore. There's always a matter of perspective, except in World War II because Hitler, he was the fucking bad guy. But anyway, the foot soldiers that are sent out there, they're usually just kids who are talked into it. Mm-hmm. By love of country, they're talked into Yeah doing this, laying down their life under the auspice of we're defending our country's best interests, we're defending freedom or whatever, and here we are. Now, I'm just going to lay out there, we are very well aware that not all military people are like that. Some are not good and like go about and try and hurt other people on purpose that does happen, but I think that's a rarity versus the common. Oh, I don't, I don't think know. that. I don't think that that's very common at all. Yeah, that but there it are, does that there are happen. Malicious, yeah, but I don't think there's. there's but malicious. I don't think that's common. But I didn't no. want anybody to like say, "You guys aren't right." <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think what I what I what really needs what people really need to take from what I'm saying here is that the people that go into war aren't malicious about it. They're going into it because they are, like I said, talked into it. Mm-hmm. They're 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 egged on by their patriotism for whatever country they're involved in and thrown out there. They're, they're overly zealous and they're thrown out there by people that don't care. These, these higher ups that just don't give a shit. They're just a number to those people, these, these soldiers. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're just grist for the mill. I mean, we talked back in January, February, something about the in the woman King about like recruiting, Tactics, and we talked about that that thing, that article that the New York Times broke about the the kids in in the urban areas, the African American kids, black kids, excuse me, that that were being forced into JROTC mm-hmm. and not having a choice about it, mm-hmm. and uh, that's very much what I'm talking about. There's people like that out there that don't they don't have some of them don't have choices. I mean, they come from depressed communities. They don't have a job other than this. This is the only way that they can get a college degree. Maybe you know. Which, of course, speaks to a lot of different things that are wrong with our society. But what are you going to do? I guess we'll just keep talking about it because that's we got to keep it in forefront. So back to the movie. I wanted to talk about a couple of things that I really, really liked about this movie. And they're not necessarily story related because I think it's hard to say the word like about this story. Mm-hmm. I think appreciate is probably more accurate for a story like this. Sure. But 
What I really did like was the music. Holy shit, the music was amazing in this. It had this weird, like, electronic, like, pulsing, like, inevitability to it. It was fantastic. I loved the music in this movie. And the cinematography was amazing as well. For a Netflix movie, I haven't seen anything this good in a long time. I haven't seen anything this good in the Netflix movie. I don't remember the music, but I don't always notice that. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. This one I did not. It's the, it was just, it was very quiet and then it would just go, dun, dun, dun. and okay. then it would just keep going and keep going. And then it, dun, dun. And it was, uh, man, it was, it was intense. It was very, very powerful music. Yeah. Only, I have only other, one other note. Okay. So do you want me to do that now or yeah. do you want to? Yeah. Why don't you do that? And then I got just a we'll couple things. Tidbits and, and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So the only other note that I have is the moment after Paul kills the guy in the crater and after all the tanks have gone out and this is when he's getting up and getting ready to go back to base. This is a battlefield, obviously. It is completely decimated and destroyed and smoldering and you hear birds chirping Mm -hmm. as if nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. The world goes on while these guys are dying in ditches. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 mm-hmm. all right my little tidbits i've got here just yeah. a couple okay so at the beginning of the movie when the friends are getting their uniforms there's a shot of them that tracks across them marching and singing you know yeah. with the rest yep. of the soldiers yep. the camera shows them in the order that they're gonna die We've got Ludwig, Krop, Franz, and then Paul. Oh, weird. So it does kind of show them oh, in that order. That's cool. I like that. And this is more referring to the book, but just for those listeners who might not know, but the title, All Quiet on the Western Front, refers to the end of the novel that the movie is based on, where the reader is told that the only report on that day was there was nothing new to report on the Western Front. And so that's where the title of the movie comes from. In the book. The book is also called. Yep. yep. And that's all my notes. That's it. No yep. other alternate casting. Not that I would know any of the other German folks. I don't even know. I don't know this. I don't know the director. I don't know anybody in this movie except for the Baron Zemo guy, which is kind of refreshing, honestly. Yep. I always like when we get to see. Now, I do have one wish. I wish we would have watched this in its native German because... With, like, English subtitles. And here's why. Because, like, when you watch a movie that's been dubbed, you are not getting the actor's full performance. You're getting mm-hmm. two different actors' performances that are smushed together. Mm-hmm. So whatever the imaginings were for, you know, well, what's the guy's name? Felix Kammerer, mm-hmm. Kammerer that, played, that played Paul. Whatever his inflections were are going to be different, probably, from the American translators. Did... Did they release one in the United States? Do you mean did they release the audio? Yeah, I'm sure there's ones out there that have the original cut to it, but I don't know if they did one in the United States. It might be. I just, I never thought to change the audio. We just ended up, because, well, and and because we're taking notes, it's harder to read and take notes and then get back up there to read again, you know, really quickly. I wish I would have watched it twice. I wish I would have watched it in German. 
then gone back and listened. Because okay. when we put the subtitles on, what they were saying on screen was Did not what not the subtitles were. Subtitles. So you know that there's differences in <laughs> yeah. what's going on, differences in cadence, differences in right. in syntax, that sort of thing. So I, I, I wish we had done that. And I, I apologize to the audience for not having done that homework. I should have, I think, done that homework and gone and watched it. So, yeah. All right. So we don't have any other notes. That's I have no other notes. notes. I don't That's think. All. Let me just once more over on my notes here to make sure i don't have anything else so let's do our thing jen keep rent or race for all quiet on the western front and why this is a rent for me i think the movie is a well-made movie mm-hmm. it's got great visuals it has a very tough story but important one i feel like I thought the acting was good in it. I agree with you. I I think I would have liked to have seen it in German just to just because it got weird with what they were saying on the screen and then the subtitles not matching and it was that was kind of taking me out of it a little bit. Right. Don't know for okay. So listeners, if you're not a war movie person, you're probably not gonna like this. This isn't a war movie. This is an anti-war movie. It is, but it does have war involved into it. And, you know, there's... I get what you're saying. I'm just... I'm being... There's a very tough story to watch. But I feel like if you want to have a movie that's going to make you think a little bit about what actually happens out there, this is probably something pretty good to watch. I thought they did a good job. But I'm not putting it up to keep because it's probably not something I'm going to pull out and watch all the time. It is a tough watch. Got it. Uh, yep. There was part. There's still parts of it that I still think about like, oh, my God, I can't believe that part of the movie. That was really tough to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, it's going to be a solid rent. Gotcha. Okay. How about you? Well, I, I think, you know, I wanted to come out and be like, I'm going to keep this. But I think you're right. I think this is one of those movies that's kind of exhausting emotionally, like 12 Years a Slave or Schindler's List or something along those lines. Or like Come and See. These movies that are like taxing to the brain. Like they're good movies and well-made yes, movies. Right. It's just not something you're going to Absolutely. Now, is this a movie that you should see? Yes. This is a movie you should see once. You should see this movie once. I could not recommend re-watching this movie. There's no... There's no joy in this movie. This is a dark, difficult movie to watch. But like you said, there is value in watching it to to really see what the effect is. Not so much the war, but you watch Paul's face throughout this entire film and you see what I'm talking about. You see the effect that this is taking on him from... you. If you were to take a shot from the moment when he is getting, like a still from the moment when he's getting bayoneted at the end and a still from when he's signing up for the army, There's they're two different people. They're yeah, two they don't look people. like the same people. They're not the same person at all. <laughs> so I would say the strongest of strong rents, please definitely see this movie. Understand that you're not going to want to watch this movie again, though. And it's not because of the... Because it's a bad film, it's because of the content, probably, more than anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I agree. Well, that was depressing as hell. What are we going to do next, then? 
All right, next week we're going to cover bodies, bodies, bodies. Speaking of depressing, I've got to watch something with Pete Davidson in it. (laughs) Shit. Oh, great. Okay, well, I guess that's what we're going to do. But I I do have hope. It's an A24 movie. You love those A24 movies. I do. You know what? They haven't led me astray yet. They haven't led me astray yet. So (laughs) I will watch anything that they put out. They've got something coming to Apple TV, and I don't even know what it's about. I'm like, I'm going to watch it. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever. I'll take some time. We'll do it. It's fine. I'm in. It's, it. it's the Rick and Morty. You son of a bitch, I'm in. It's that whole thing, you know? So, all right. All so, right. next week, right here on the couch, then. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.